ministry is kind of what all that's about, and uh, we're glad to have you this evening. Yeah, Amen. I appreciate that so much. Thank you. for the opportunity. I had the privilege of pastoring for uh, 15 years, and I know this um, really well, that it's impossible to schedule every missionary that calls you. Uh, you would like to, uh, but every pastor likes to preach every once in a while, and so uh, I just like to take a moment and say thank you to the pastor uh, for entrusting me with your pulpit and for the opportunity to present our family and worldview ministries here at First Baptist Church. Thank you, church family, for your warm welcome. Uh, you have made us feel right at home, and we've just been here a little bit. And so thank you for that. You've uh, rolled out the red carpet and uh, lots of smiles tonight and uh, warm handshakes, and I appreciate that so very, very much. I want to thank uh, Brother Brian, Brother Joel, those in the sound audio section up there. I was not a technical pastor. Not a technical missionary. And so I rely on those that know what they're doing. Some of you know what an IT person is. I'm a TI person. That's technologically incompetent. That's me. And so I really appreciate guys like that and ladies as well. And I'm going to pray and hope this works. If it doesn't work, I am, pre I am prepared to present my ministry through an interpretive dance routine. No, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> Though some of you would like to see that, shame on you. That, that's a joke uh, on many levels, actually. I was a children's pastor six years, so I am prepared to present my ministry through a riveting flannel graph presentation if this doesn't work. But we are going to hope and pray it works. I'm ready uh, if you all are, and uh, we'll get right to it. My wife Amy is right over here, and my son Cooper. Uh, he is uh, the youngest of five boys, and uh, that's a picture of our family. Um, Amy is from Ohio, Mansfield, Ohio. Uh, she grew up there. I grew up in New England, New Hampshire, Maine, and we met at Pensacola Christian College, and after we um, graduated, we were married and then worked for the college for a couple years as college representatives, traveled all over the country, loved doing that, and uh, God has blessed us with five boys. I have five boys and no hair, and that is why I have no hair. It's mostly because of that one right there. Anyway, I'm just kidding, but uh, anyway... Um, and so, oh, and by the way, uh, Amy and I are first-time grandparents, so there you go. Uh, six months old, um, William Harrison Fennell seventh, Liam for short. He's in a long line of William Harrison's, and we just had to get him in the presentation somehow, or I would have gone to each one of you and showed you a picture on my phone, so uh, this, was a lot, this was a lot easier. So uh, after Amy and I uh, were college reps, we went to Mansfield Baptist Temple in Mansfield, Ohio. I was the children's pastor. Some would say the childish pastor did that for six years. And after six years of doing that, the Lord brought us to our first and only pastor at the Mount Vernon Baptist Temple in Mount Vernon, Ohio, where I had the joy and privilege of being the pastor there for 15 years. And I say this wherever I go, uh, the most difficult thing I've ever had to do in ministry was resign from Mount Vernon Baptist Temple. And there's a couple reasons for that. First of all, we were able to see the Lord do some amazing things there. And uh, God receives all the glory, all the credit. We were just along for the ride, but very thankful uh, to be along for the ride. And, uh, and so it was very difficult for that reason. But the main reason that it was difficult to resign is, is this. We just love, absolutely adore our church family. And for 15 years, uh, I had the joy and privilege of watching my church family love on my family. 
And um, I think my church family really just put up with me, but they sure love my family. And what joy that brings a husband, a father, a pastor to be a part of that and to witness that and, and to see that. And so it was very, very difficult to resign, but it is what God had for us and he made it abundantly clear and he did so, uh, and I know you won't be surprised by this at all, he did so through a missions trip. Uh, one missions trip uh, turned into six missions trips. And four of those missions trips were with the ministry we now serve with called Worldview Ministries, an independent Baptist scripture translation ministry focused on the unreached people groups of the world, people groups in the world that do not have even one verse of scripture in their language. And as I was on these missions trips, I just kept going on these missions trips, and I kept, I kept um, hearing these statistics that as a pastor I had never heard before. And uh, for example, um, this one, uh, more than half of, the, lang uh, more, more than half of the, the, the languages of the world do not have a Bible. Uh, there are right around 7,000 languages in the world today. Did you know that? I didn't know that as a pastor. To my shame, I didn't know that. And get this, of the 7,000 languages in the world today, 3,883 of them do not have one verse of scripture in their language. Church family tonight, where would you be tonight without the Bible in our language? Uh, how about this question? Where would our nation be if we did not have the word of God in our, in our language? You know this to be true. There's a whole lot of people out there that don't want us to know this or they want us to forget about it. Our country was founded on the word of God. We were founded on biblical principles. And sadly, we're getting more and more wicked every day. Where would we be as a nation, if at all, if we had not been founded on the word of God? Amen. And so we're thankful for that. But almost 4,000 people groups in the world today are, are doing what? They're waiting. They're just waiting for a verse of scripture in their language. And so that is why Worldview Ministries started. Here's a little object lesson just to um, help us uh, put things into perspective a little bit. Let's pretend uh, tonight that here in our country we have no Bible and a missionary from another country comes and knocks on your door through an interpreter, tells you for the first time of Jesus Christ and shows you their Bible. Now you can't read their Bible because you don't know their language. Now think about that. What would you do at that moment? Um, you have a couple choices. Uh, you could believe everything that missionary says that it is true. And praise the Lord, church family, that happens all over the world as missionaries give the power of the gospel uh, you know, uh, to, to different people groups. Your second option would be to do what? Learn their language. Why? So you could verify for yourself what they're saying that it is true. Folks, that would be very difficult for me. I don't do good. <laughs> I don't do well uh, with language. I, I'm still learning English, all right? Um, I, I, I say this, I speak fluent hillbilly in English as a second language. Um, what if someone said, hey, in order for you to know what God has to say to you, you have to learn the Romanian language. Maybe someone here knows what that Bible verse is in the Romanian language. Or how about the language of Thailand? Same Bible verse, different language. That looks a little bit like my handwriting, at least that's what Amy says. Uh, but I don't understand anything that's uh, written up there. Or how about the number one language in the world today? By the way, it's not English. Uh, it's, it's, uh, English is third after Mandarin Chinese and Spanish. And so same Bible verse, uh, just in the Mandarin Chinese language. And here's the point. When we see that same Bible verse, by the way, class, what is the Bible verse together? 
John 3, 6. We have Bible translators in our midst tonight. That's wonderful. Praise the Lord. When we see that same Bible verse in what is called our heart language, it means a whole lot more to us. But here's the point of, of the object lesson. Almost 4,000 people groups in the world today cannot read John 3, 16 in their heart language as you're reading it right now in your heart language, if English is indeed your heart language. And so that is why Worldview Ministry started. Worldview Ministry started to do two things, train Bible translators so they can translate the scriptures for those who are still waiting for a verse of scripture in their language. God has blessed our ministry tremendously in the last 15, 16 years. Uh, uh, 16 years. Uh, we're about 16 years old. Um, we have nine projects in six different countries. We have projects in India, Uganda, China, Tibet, Myanmar. Uh, get this, we're very excited about this. We have a brand new project in the country of Iran. And uh, all of our projects you can read about. We have a booklet on the table. We encourage you to go by and pick up those booklets. It will show you how to better pray for our ministry and our various projects. And, um, and so what you're seeing right now is um, the American church planning missionaries that, that have in the past headed up each one of our projects at one time or another, as well as their translation teams. And um, we have been so excited as we go from church to church and missions conference to missions conference to see God's people get excited about Bible translation. And we'll say a little bit more about that here in a moment. Uh, but we want to highlight one of our Bible translation projects tonight. And it's very appropriate that we do so because it was a project that I believe was started uh, by Brother Stensis here, senior. And um, it is a project for the Runyon Kore people of Uganda. Uh, Worldview Ministries has been able to give two people groups now a New Testament uh, and we're excited about that. But the first one was the Runyon Corey uh, New Testament. And so we want to highlight that uh, by showing a video. And um, just a, a, a quick a few words about this project. Some of you may be aware of it. I don't know. Uh, by the way, uh, Dr. Stensis, uh, Dr. Fielder gives his regards and says hello to you. But um, this, uh, this New Testament... Um, represents 11 years plus of, of hard work, about 200 man hours a week. It, co it's, it costs from start to finish around $250,000. And it represents a people group. Sometimes we think this way. I know I do, sadly. There's a people group in Africa. What is that, Two, 300 people? Get this, church family. This New Testament represents a people group of over 5 million people. And uh, they now have a New Testament um, from Worldview Ministries. And um, in, in 2019, I had the joy and privilege of going with our Worldview team to Uganda. We held a Bible dedication ceremony and handed over this New Testament to the Runyon Quarry people. It was one of the highlights of my life. And uh, good news, we're going to take a quick trip to Uganda right now. I hope you have your passport ready. And we're going to have the privilege of sitting in on that Bible dedication ceremony. And I know it will be a blessing to you. Just a few things about what you're going to see. Uh, first of all, it was very well attended. I talked to three men uh, that traveled 14 hours on a bus just because they, they didn't want to miss out on this Bible dedication ceremony. By the way, traveling 14 hours on a bus in Uganda is a little different than traveling 14 hours on a bus here in the States. Um, this touched my heart. We didn't know this uh, until after the fact, but this was such a big day for the Runyon Corey people that many of the late, you're gonna see some very colorful, vibrant outfits. We didn't know this till afterwards. This was such a big day that many of the women wore their wedding dresses to the ceremony. And then when we handed out the Bibles, 
Uh, you're going to see in here, no one was leading from the, the pulpit singing, but folks just started waving their Bibles in the air and singing praises to the Lord. They were just overwhelmed with joy to have been given such a precious gift. And then they ended, they concluded by reading together John 3:16. Again, it was one of the highlights of my life. I know it will be a blessing to you. We'll go ahead and show that video at this time. The first time I held in my hand a copy of the Running Quarter New Testament, I was overwhelmed with emotion. The joy of being part of a translation for a people who need the Word of God so desperately. we came, God was already working. God had put together something here that I couldn't have, I couldn't have written a beginning like, like we found. They were already concerned about having a Bible that was accurate. They were already working on translation work. To be able to bring them through the original language, the Greek, and give them the tools, kind of work with them through the process and develop this process really from the ground up. Uh, I didn't know we could do all that. You know, it was one of those things I didn't come here knowing this is the way this is all going to work. God led us every step of the way. We wanted to have an accurate translation so that churches that are built are built on a sure foundation. One that won't move, one that won't be subject to time, but one that will clearly reflect the mind of God in today's generations. It is God's word. We don't want to change it. We don't want to dilute it. We don't want to uh, create our own. We strive to produce the most accurate translation possible. A Bible they can trust, a Bible they can read and know this is the Word of God in our language. We spent many, many years on this work of translation. To, to me, it is worthy, more than worthy. Ugandan Christians, to see the joy on their faces, uh, to think of the power of God's written word in the um, hands of dedicated Ugandan Christians. We supported missionaries to Africa for years. We've heard stories. We've seen slides and videos. Uh, but to be here yourself touched my heart. There have been many, many books written by men, but only one book written by God. This was such great joy. I present the completed Rani Korinu precious. Seeing the people today as they received a copy of God's Word, the spontaneous joy, the singing that originated from the congregation, not being led by someone on the platform and lifting their Bibles in the air and shouting praise to the Lord. <laughs>
broke into tears. Um, I was just thinking about how blessed we are to have the scripture. You know, we just sometimes take it for granted and to see the joy on their face. I think you have seen even on their faces how they are happy, how they are rejoicing in raising that Bible up. To finally have something that now we can say, here it is, here's, here's God's word, and we can give it to them in their language. It's a huge moment. The people we have given the Bible, the New Testament, it is going to be, it is going to change their life. Today was a marvelous day, both in my life and my ministry, because you can now tell them from the pulpit and say, when you go home, read this, you know they have the Bible. When reading it in their language, God will be speaking to their hearts, God will, will be speaking to them. I think it will change many hearts. We want to see this happen over and over. There are over 3,700 language groups that still do not have one verse of Scripture. And our burden is to provide the Scripture in as many of those languages as possible. We thank the Lord for the churches who have partnered with us to get this far for the Ranikori people. And we long to see this day repeated many times over. I trust that was a blessing to you. I never tire of seeing that video, and we have seen it dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Um, if you have any questions about Worldview Ministries, we'd love to answer those to the best of our ability after the service. Uh, you can see us at the table. Just a couple things that I want to wrap up the presentation part of the evening with is this. First of all, we said earlier that Worldview Ministries is an independent Baptist scripture translation ministry, and we could talk for a long time about what that entails and all of that. But I just want to say that uh, we translate from the Greek Texas Receptus, the Hebrew Masoretic, and we translate with a word-for-word -word equivalency, uh, meaning that we don't believe it's the translator's job to um, tell people what we think God meant, uh, but just to simply tell people what God said. Uh, that's the translator's job. And we want other people groups to receive a Bible the same way we received our Bible. And so we take that very seriously. And we can answer those questions as well if you have any further questions about that. Uh, and then also I want to just give our uh, part in this whole process. Um, I am not a Bible translator. I do not have that at age 54. I do not have that background, that training, that education. I just don't. Uh, I have been asked to come on board as director of national training, just meaning that I will have the privilege of going overseas and sitting down with national pastors who have been praying for a, a Bible in their language with the hope and prayer of having many, many, many more Bible translation projects. And uh, while I'm not doing that, I'll be in the States going from missions conference to missions conference, church to church. Uh, the Lord blessed us with 81 meetings last year. Uh, my goal was to be in 40 brand new churches last year, brand new meaning that they knew nothing about our ministry of Bible translation. And the Lord uh, was gracious to give us 48 uh, churches, uh, brand new churches last year. And we're, we're so thankful uh, for that. 
And, uh, and so we just praise the Lord to have a part. It's a small part, but it's a part nonetheless uh, to be involved with such a, a wonderful, eternal work of Scripture translation. I said earlier that we were so excited and have been so excited to see God's people get excited about Bible translation. Uh, we have seen some amazing things. Uh, we have seen churches sponsor one of our projects just as they would sponsor a monthly missionary. Uh, we have seen churches sponsor a book of the New Testament for one of our projects. Uh, we said earlier that um, the average New Testament cost from start to finish somewhere around $250,000. And if you take all of the verses of the New Testament and divide that into that, it comes out to about $25 a verse. So I've had two churches sponsor the book of Jude uh, for one of our projects. My best friend pastors in Columbus, Ohio, and he sponsored the book of Romans uh, for the Myanmar project. And it's exciting to see God's people create ways that they can get involved with scripture translation. Uh, not only that, we've, we've seen some amazing gifts. Um, we were in a church in Alabama just when we first started six years ago. And we presented at a church. And afterwards, a young couple just newly married uh, in their 20s came up to us. They asked some questions and uh, took some literature and said goodbye. And a few minutes later, the pastor of the church came up and said, that young couple just wrote a check for $13,000 for one of your projects. They were so overwhelmed by the great need of scripture translation. Now think about this, th this next story. Contrast that story with this story. The very first time I presented Worldview Ministries at, at my home church, Mount Vernon Baptist, after the service, a little boy, about this tall, by the name of Brennan, he came up to me and he said, Pastor, here, and he gave me 22 cents for Bible translation. Now, I know that you know this. God can bless 22 cents just as much as he can bless $13,000. Amen. But the point I'm trying to make is that God's people are getting excited about the propagation of the word of God for unreached people groups, people that are still waiting for a verse of scripture uh, in their heart language. And so, again, thank you, Pastor, for the privilege to present Worldview Ministries. Thank you for entrusting me with your pulpit and the privilege to be here uh, this evening. Hebrews chapter 11 tonight, if you will, take your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter number 11. If you know anything about Hebrews 11, you know that it is the great hall of faith. It's the great faith chapter. And there are many facets of faith found in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we could talk about the, the meaning of faith, the models of faith. We could preach for a year of Sundays on the models of faith, and that has been done. We could talk about the magnitude of of faith. All through this verse, about 15 times we find these words, through faith or by faith, meaning that we see what God does when God's people take the simple step of obedience, the simple step of faith. God gets the glory for the miracle, but the miracle takes place when his people do what he tells them to do. We could talk about the menace of faith. We could talk about the miracle of faith. We want to pull just one of those facets of faith uh, found in the great hall of faith tonight, and that is the manifestation of faith or the evidence of faith. So notice with me Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number one. The Bible says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now we're going to look at some other verses in this text tonight, but let's pray and look at this truth, this thought from this text the manifestation of faith, the evidence of faith. If you like alliteration, we could call it birthmarks of belief. 
But uh, let's uh, pray and ask the Lord to bless, and then we'll look at this portion of Scripture tonight. Father, we love you. Thank you for the privilege to be in your house tonight with these dear people. They have already been an encouragement to our family. We're thankful for them. We thank you for the bright light that is First Baptist Church of Eaton. Uh, Lord, not only here in this community, but around the world, as it is evident, they have a heart for missions. Lord, we are so grateful for the word of God, your word, in our heart language. We thank you for the power of your word and the power of your spirit. And Lord, we are asking in faith tonight that you would use the power of your word and the power of your spirit to do something spiritual in our very midst. Father, do something spiritual in our hearts, our lives, our marriages, our families, our church family, and and in our circle of influence. As you have made it abundantly clear, we are to be salt and light in this dark world. Bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we look at a very brief outline tonight, I want to give, I want to lay a foundation and I want to give what I call three fast facts about verse number one. And again, the purpose of that is to just lay a foundation and give a context before we look at, again, a very brief outline. And so here are my my three fast facts about verse number one. Okay, fast fact number one is this. Uh, According to verse number one, the life of faith is a life of evidence. The life of faith is a life of evidence. It says in verse number one, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, faith is not shallow. It has substance. The evidence of things not seen. Folks, faith is not empty. It has evidence. Have you ever heard anyone say this? Well, I have faith, but it's a very private thing. I don't like to discuss it very much. Not to be mean or unkind or unloving, but that is not Bible faith. So number one, fast fact number one, the life of faith is a life of evidence. Here's fast fact number two. Faith's evidence is called something in the Bible. So the life of faith is a life of evidence. Fast fact number one. Fast fact number two. That evidence is called, are you ready for this? Obedience. Now, Brother Bill, what's the significance of that? Well, here's the significance. If you're like me, you love to talk about faith. But if you're also like me, we don't always like to talk about obedience. But according to the Bible, you cannot separate the two. Uh, We sing it as children. I won't sing it for you because I just care about you way too much. But obedience is the very best way to show that we what? That we believe. We sing it as older children. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Um, According to James 2, faith without works is dead. We We would say faith without action is dead. We would say if we were teaching our children, faith without obedience is a dead faith. So the life of faith is a life of evidence. That evidence is called obedience. Now here's fast fact number three, and it's something that we all know. Fast fact number three, it's not always easy to obey. Now, it's the only option. We know that. But sometimes God requires his servants to do some pretty challenging things. You look at the models of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. uh, God didn't require them to always do easy things. Why would we think we would be any different? Sometimes 
it's difficult to do what God tells us to do. Now, I'm going to ask a question, and it's the invitation question, all right? doesn't mean we're going home in two minutes, so uh, just, uh, you know, calm down. But, but here's the invitation question, and we'll, we'll come back to it at the end. What is it in your life that you know without a shadow of a doubt God wants you to do, it's difficult for you to do, and it would require a step of faith? It would require a step of obedience. Don't answer out loud. You can think. You can take spiritual inventory. What is it in your life that you know? You say, Brother Bill, I know God wants me to do this. That's difficult for me to do. It would require a step of faith. Maybe it's to get baptized. Maybe uh, it is to uh, join the church. Maybe it's to, to, to get involved with a ministry of the church. Maybe you would say, Brother Bill, I've known for quite some time, God wants me to get involved with this ministry. I have a thousand and one reasons why I don't want to get involved with this ministry. For me to do it, it would be a step of faith. Maybe it's to give monetarily to a project of the church. You even know the amount God wants you to write the check for. And you say to write that check, that would be a step of faith. Maybe it's to forgive someone. I only pastored 15 years, but I believe one of the great sins of the church today is bitterness. I really do. Someone at some time has done something to you maybe 30 years ago. And we have still not let go and let God. We have still, we, we, we have um, uh, to yet pound the gavel in the throne room of our heart and say, you are free to go. I will no longer punish you. I choose to pardon you. By the way, that's forgiveness. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's to give your life to whatever the Lord has for you. Maybe it's to give your life to missions. Maybe, maybe it's to witness to a difficult person. I don't know what it is, but what is it in your life that God wants you to do? It's difficult for you to do. It would require a step of faith. Ah, with that in mind, observe with me three manifestations of faith from Hebrews chapter 11. We can't look at all of them, but we will just pull out three. Here we go. Number one, here's the outline. If you're taking notes, according to Hebrews chapter 11, number one, sometimes faith is obeying God when it doesn't seem logical. Sometimes faith is obeying God when it doesn't seem logical. All I'm simply trying to say is this. Sometimes when God tells us to do something in our mind, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. Here's a Bible illustration. Look at verse number seven. Verse number seven. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, here it is, of things not seen as yet. What's that talking about? Well, you know what that's talking about. Noah, uh, build an ark. Okay, what's an ark? Well, Noah, an ark is something you need when there's a flood. And Noah would say, oh, what's a flood? And we would say, Noah, a flood is something that takes place when there's lots and lots and lots of rain. And Noah would look you right in the eye, scratch his head, and say what? What's rain? Do you get the picture? Church family, sometimes faith is just taking the step of obedience, even though we don't have it all figured out up here. That's faith. That's faith. Um, let me give you what I believe is a more modern day maybe illustration than, than verse number seven. Um, and, and we'll be brief, okay? Don't, don't get angry with me. Pastor didn't ask me to mention this. This is my own testimony. Giving. I know what you're thinking. I'd rather build an ark than talk about giving. I understand, all right? 
But just bear with me, I'll be, I'll be brief. Do you remember when you were being discipled and someone taught us the biblical principle of whenever God gives to us, we are to give to God back first. Do you remember that? By the way, that is a biblical principle. This is what you thought. You say, how do you know what I thought? Because we all think the same way. Here's what we think. If the very first check I write when I get paid is to God, then at the end of the month, I won't have any money left over for this, that, or the other. And, and maybe you'll be surprised to hear me say this. On paper, you would be correct on that. But you've just thrown faith right out the window. And I know this about you, church family. All over the sanctuary tonight, we could have testimony after testimony after testimony of believers that would stand. And you could give this testimony, even though at the time it didn't make complete sense, when I trusted God with my finances and simply obeyed him, God has blessed my finances ever since. Even though at the time, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Folks, that's faith. That's faith. By the way, we use this principle all the time out there. Uh, someone wrote this one time. It wasn't me. I'm just quoting it. But they said, you go to a doctor you've never met. He writes a prescription you can't read. Now, I didn't write this. If you're a doctor, you know, I'm not the one that wrote this. I'm just quoting it. You go to a doctor you've never met. He writes a prescription you can't read. You give it to a pharmacist you don't even see. And they give you a chemical compound you most likely don't understand. And do you know what you do with it? You obey the what? The prescription. We, we use it all the time out there. May God help us to use it in here. More importantly, in our heart, right? Uh, sometimes faith is obeying God when it doesn't seem logical. Here's a, another manifestation of faith from Hebrews chapter 11. Sometimes faith is obeying God when it doesn't seem logical. Number two, sometimes faith is obeying God when it's not comfortable. All kinds of illustrations in our text. We could talk about Gideon. 32,000 men down to 300. That had to be a little bit uncomfortable, especially if you were in the 300 camp. Uh, we could talk about Moses leaving all of the comforts of, of Egypt to go wandering around in the wilderness, right? We could talk about jo uh, uh, um, Joshua walking around those walls. Just keep walking around those walls, uh, Joshua. The, they have to come a tumbling down. The song says so, so just keep, keep, just keep walking. Um, probably there's no greater illustration than verse number 17. Would you look at verse number 17 with me? By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. Can you imagine? You talk about uncomfortable. Abraham, take now thine only son, thy, thy son, thine only son, Isaac, and offer him as a burnt offering, offer him as a sacrifice. You talk about uncomfortable, yes, because sometimes faith is obeying God when it's not comfortable. I, when I was a children's pastor, I heard this story. By the way, it has a happy ending. Uh, if, you're, if you're young in here, um, don't, don't get too concerned. It, it's got a wonderful happy ending. A family had a house fire. Everyone escaped to the front lawn except the little boy. He was about four or five years of age. The family's on the front lawn, and in the window above them was their little boy. And the father went to the bottom of the window, and he said, son, jump uh, if you jump, uh, I'll catch you, you'll be saved. The little boy said, Daddy, I can't jump because I can't see you. The smoke was pouring out of that window. The father said, Son, you may not be able to see me, but I can see you. Jump and you'll be saved. And the little boy jumped and he was saved. Happy ending. 
You say, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? Here's the point. Would you agree with me that sometimes our step of obedience, our step of faith, feels like a big old leap in the dark? It's uncomfortable. Makes our hands perspire, our mouth get dry, our heart beat a little faster. I'm so glad God doesn't require a leap in the dark. He gives us the light of his word. But I'm simply trying to say that sometimes when God tells us to do something, it's a little uncomfortable. And by the way, before I go on, go on to the next point, I already know this about you folks, that you know this to be true. Because when you take spiritual inventory and look back on your Christian walk or your, your life of faith, think back about all of the things that God required of you to do that, were, that was uncomfortable at the time. Think about that. Do you remember the first time the preacher said, who would like to stand and give a testimony tonight? And you had just been saved a little while and God told you to stand and give a testimony and you were scared to death and yet you mustered up enough courage to stand and give a testimony. Folks, that's faith. Do you remember the first time you handed out a gospel track? Do you remember the first time you wrote that tithe check? Maybe your hand was shaking as you wrote the check. Do you remember the first time you gave the gospel to someone? That Jesus died, was buried, and rose again for them. And, and, and you witnessed to them and gave the gospel. Hey, do you remember the first time you witnessed to a family member? Do you remember the first time you sang in church? How many Sunday school teachers do we have here tonight that at least one time in your life you've taught Sunday school? Can I, can I see your hand? All over. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Ladies here tonight that, that have been Sunday school teachers... Do you remember the first time you taught Sunday school? Maybe, just maybe, there was five little children in that class, and to you it felt like 500. You were scared to death. Yet you did it because God told you to do it. Folks, that's faith. That's faith. Now, I have to ask this question before we go on. Church family tonight, when's the last time you've been uncomfortable? Is it that God is through with you? No, we know better. Is it that we have arrived spiritually? There's no more room for spiritual growth? No, we know better than that. Maybe, just maybe, we have gotten to a point in our life where we are content to be content and we don't want to be uncomfortable anymore. Sometimes faith is obeying God when it's not comfortable. Lastly tonight, according to this text, Sometimes faith is obeying God when it's not logical, or at least in our own mind, it's not logical. Sometimes faith is obeying God when it's not comfortable. And then thirdly, sometimes faith, number three, is, is obeying God when it's not desirable. It's not desirable. What does that mean, Brother Bill? That means we just don't want to. We just don't want to. Brother Bill, give me an illustration from our text of that principle. Okay, here it is. Are you ready? Uh, don't miss it. Every person in the great hall of faith is an illustration of this truth why because they have something we all have it's called a will and when God told them to do something they could say yes they could say no uh, they they could uh, humble their heart or they could harden their heart they could soften their heart or stiffen their neck but you know this to be true. They wouldn't be in the hall of faith if they didn't learn to say, not my will, but thine be done. They wouldn't be in the hall of faith if they didn't learn to kick self off the throne of their heart and put the sovereign there where he rightly deserves to be, making all the decisions for us. 
Forgive, um, forgive me for using our family as an illustration when it comes to faith. The Lord knows my heart. I would love to stand before you as the poster child for faith, but it's just not the case. When God started to work in my life about transitioning from pastor to missionary to serve with Worldview Ministries, I must confess to you, I did not want to do it. You say, why, Brother Bill? Here's why. In my mind, it was not, are you ready? Logical, comfortable, or desirable. It wasn't logical to leave and, and resign from a church that I think I could have retired from. It wasn't comfortable to say goodbye to a, a church family that we just adore. It wasn't comfortable financially. Uh, we were, I was 47 at the time. We had a family of seven. Our firstborn was going off to college, and I'm jumping into deputation for the first time. I was scared to death. I remember longingly looking at young missionaries right out of college that didn't have a mortgage and everything that came with it. And I had all of that. And I remember saying, there is no way financially this is going to fly. I remember looking at my last paycheck from Mount Vernon Baptist thinking, I am the dumbest man in all of the world. There is no way logically that this is going to happen financially. And, and so that was uncomfortable. And then for many, many, many months, it was not desirable. I would argue with the Lord, and I would have conversations with the Lord like this. Lord, uh, for the record, I just want you to know, Lord, as if he didn't know, uh, I don't want to do this, but I'll pastor another church if that's what you're calling me to do. And God said, that's not what I'm calling you to do. I remember saying, Lord, um, for the record, I don't want to do this, but I'll work at a Bible college if they'll have me. We even, Amy and I, went through the entire application process. All we had to do is move. And God said, what are you doing? You know that's not what I have for you. And I remember um, having this conversation. Lord, I, I don't want to do this for the record, but I'll be a church planning missionary because then I could still be a what? I could still be a pastor. And God said, that's not what I have for you. There's almost... 4,000 people groups in the world that don't have one verse of scripture. Let's do something about that. Let's change that statistic. And I remember uh, the day that the Lord spoke to me where I took this um, step of obedience. I was sitting in my office early one morning, and I are you ready for this? I received an email from the Lord. No, it wasn't from the Lord. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Come on, that would be neat though. No, all right. It was, a mission, it was, a, it was an email from a missionary that we uh, support, the Housers, um, Calvin, uh, uh, or um, not Calvin, but, uh, no, it was Calvin, yeah, to the Philippines. And I remember um, I received his email, and at the very end of his email, he wrote something that I know was just for me. I wrote it in my Bible. He said, if you are considering um, foreign missions, if you are considering giving your life to foreign missions, do not fear we can boldly say with the Apostle Paul, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. And that was just what I needed to hear. And I started to cry and I stood up from my desk and me standing up from my desk was my step of faith where I said, Lord, I know what you want me to do and we're gonna, it doesn't seem logical. It's not comfortable. It's not even desirable, but I'm gonna do what you want me to do. By the, by the way, aren't you thankful for this? When we obey God, even when it's not desirable, aren't you thankful God changes our desire? Amen. And I'm so thankful for that. And here's the point, church family. God has blessed every step of the way. 
Every need has been supplied. Every bill has been paid for. God has just met every step of the way. And we say to God be the glory, great things he hath done. All I had to do was take the step of obedience, the step of faith. And by the way, that's what he tells us will happen. Look at verse number six in closing. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, a lot of people will say that that's um, some sort of cotton candy Christianity where if you have enough faith, you'll have a million dollars in the bank and you'll never get sick. And as the old preacher said, there's a Greek word for that. It's baloney, right? Uh, that's not at all what that verse is saying. Verse number six is simply saying this. When we do what God tells us to do, we bring a smile to the face of God and he will take care of his children. That's all it's saying. Verse number six has sent, meant so much to Amy and I in this transition from pastor to missionary because verse number six has taught us this principle that God can take care of me better than I can take care of me. I just need to obey. Years ago, we were having dinner around the kitchen table on a Saturday night, and my third son, Chad, he was about this tall at the time, he was sitting right next to me, I'm sitting next to Amy, and, and there was a bag of potato chips on the table, and I'm talking to Amy, and Chad interrupts me, and he says, Daddy, may I have some potato chips? I said, sure, go ahead, and I turned, and I kept talking to Amy, and I didn't know this, but he didn't take one potato chip, not one. So a, a few minutes later, he interrupted a second time. And I said, yes, son, what? He said, daddy, may I have some potato chips? I said, sure, son, go ahead. And I turned, kept talking to Amy. I'm the talker in the family. And I didn't know this. He didn't take not one potato chip. So he interrupted a third time. Now, if you're a father, you know we only have so much patience. That's how God made us. No, I'm just kidding. And uh, by this time, the third time, you start having evil thoughts towards your offspring. Like, I'm going to feed him a potato chip with a slingshot if he doesn't stop interrupting me. These are the evil thoughts that go through your mind as a, as a father. And I said, son, what? Chad, what? What do you want? Daddy, may I have some potato chips? I said, yes. Take some potato chips. The bag was right there in front of him, but I moved it closer to his chubby little face. I said, take some potato chips. And he said this, and I'll never forget it. He said, no, daddy, no. He said, no, daddy, you do it. You do it. Your hand is bigger than my hand. Your hand is bigger than my hand. And I remember when, when he said that, I remember thinking, my father's hand is so much bigger than my hand. God can take care of me a whole lot better than I can take care of myself. Hey, church family, God can take care of you better than you can take care of yourself. We just need to be found faithful. We just need to be found walking by faith, not by sight. We just need to be found doing what God is telling us to do. It may not seem logical. It may not be comfortable. It may not even be desirable. But Lord, I love you. I trust you. And I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And so I end where we started. Church family, what is it that you know God wants you to do? It's difficult for you to do. It would require a step of faith. May God give you the humility and the courage to do what you know God wants you to do. Not only for your good, but more importantly for his glory. Amen. Our heads are bowed. Our, our eyes are closed. I'm just going to ask a couple questions, turn it over to pastor after I pray. And you're here tonight. You say, Brother Bill, God is speaking to my heart about something specific. I don't need to know what it is. That's between you and the Lord. But I would love to include you in my prayer. Brother Bill, pray for me. God's speaking to me about something specific. Can I see your hand tonight? From the youngest. Amen. Praise the Lord. A lot of young people. Anyone else?
Amen. Thank you. I see that hand. Anyone else? Anyone? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Brother Bill, God's speaking to my heart about something specific. Would you include me in your prayer? Anyone else? I don't know what the Lord speak. Amen. Lord, Lord bless you. I don't know what the Lord's speaking to your heart about, but, but um, may God give us the humility and the courage to just take that step of faith, that step of obedience. Maybe it's salvation tonight. We encourage you to come forward and trust Christ. I'm not one of these preachers that try to twist arms for people to come uh, to, the, to the front. But I do believe this with all of my heart. Sometimes our step of faith begins with a step towards the altar. I do believe that. And so if God is speaking to your heart tonight, you want to come and pray. That's what the invitation's for. The invitation is when we act on the word of God as it's been presented. And so we give you an opportunity to do that tonight. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the privilege to, to teach and, and preach here tonight. These folks uh, have been such an encouragement and a blessing to me. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to each and every one of us, myself included. Show us areas of our life that you want us to just trust you and take the step of obedience, the step of faith. It may not seem logical, may not be comfortable, may not be desirable even, but Lord, we love you and we trust you. And so, Lord, give us the humility and the courage to do what we know is right to do. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Let's all stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. The piano's just going to begin playing softly. If God spoke to your heart this evening, maybe.